Greetings, fellow imps. I'm Imp Fossil Tom Henske, and I'd like to welcome you to From Nowhere to Now Here, Where Incarnate Memories Prevail. Like many incoming first years, I entered the university a blank canvas. You get it, nowhere. But four years later, I grew to now here. And when I look back at that transformation, it was the friendships that I built through the imps that were a huge part of that growth. But where did everyone end up? I'm going to take us on a journey to find them, to catch up with the friends we've lost touch with. And in doing so, my mission is to rekindle these amazing relationships. Cole Kelly in the Imp House. What's going <laughs> on, man? How are you? Doing great, T-Ski, man. So happy to, to be here. Although I got to tell you, I'm a little starstruck looking at your screen here. I, I see the All-American plaque and the National Championship trophies behind you. It, it, it's a little daunting, as usual, talking with uh, the Imps. It's daunting. It, it, it's amazing what you could do like on Google nowadays. I can do- <laughs> Fake plaques, fake trophies, the whole thing. You, you might think that I'm really important just by looking behind me, right? But we both know the truth. Uh, all you got to do is ask your kids if you're important. It's okay. So right right back down to earth. Yeah, right right back down to earth. And, you know, speaking of uh, important people, we want to make sure we mention Ben Arthur and give him a huge shout out. Uh, my bad for not mentioning this two episodes ago, but he provided the music for the podcast. And if anyone is in need of music, he's got some great stuff. Go to benarthur.com and check that out. Sorry, Ben, for the promotional uh, high five for you, but you deserve it. Thanks so much for being awesome and helping us out. Well, that's funny. I'm actually, so I might have to reach out to Ben. We're looking to develop some new songs for our our summer camp. So I'll, I'll, I'll give Ben a call. Yeah. And Ben uh, actually will probably go to your camp if you give him the opportunity. <laughs> He'll even go on a top bunk. He'll spend the whole summer there. And go with ben. So, so, so Ben, you're back to summer camp, man. If you're listening to this, reach out to call and we'll be all set to go. So call my man. Last I left you was tracking around Bryant Hall, eating food with the athletes, but give everyone a little, uh, intro in terms of how the heck did you wind up in Charlottesville? Did you like hit a golf ball that went too far and you were trying to find it? You wind up in Charlottesville? What happened there? All right. So I've been thinking about this and it, it really goes back to uh, an odd meeting at uh, on a golf course between two white haired old men, former Yankees now living in the South. So my father actually ran a golf tournament called SIC and was doing an introduction. He, he was from Maine. He still had this kind of, you know, not a Southern accent here in Athens, Georgia. And the head coach at the time, Mike Morgan at Virginia was from Connecticut. And he well, both white hair and said, wait a second, you know, Mr. Kelly, you don't sound like you're from around here. He goes, oh no, I'm from Maine. It's all oh, from Connecticut. Next thing I know, Mike Morgan is, has had two or three too many Jack Daniels with my father two nights later at our house. And he says, you know, Cole Jr., take, take coach home. I'm like, okay, so I'm taking it back to the hotel. And Mike's like, ah, I love your dad, man. This, he's the greatest guy. You got to come to Virginia. Now, I'm a, a junior at that time, and I'm a decent golfer, but I'm not a good one. And as soon as he said, you know, Junior, you got to come to Virginia, I said, yes, 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 yes. Um, so the next year, we start setting our traps. We, I do, I'm not a great student. I'm a decent golfer. Doing everything I possibly can, so we go up and we get a an interview up at up at Virginia in the fall of my senior year of high school, and I'm on crutches, which I think is kind of a good thing. But it's fall, 
and the leaves are all over the place and I'm slipping and falling on these crutches. And my father and mom go, they, they take a walk on the lawn. And it's, it's kind of similar to your story in that there's a, a girl involved giving a tour on the, on the lawn. So I get picked up by my parents after this interview, which I think goes well. And my father says, you have to come to school here. I'm like, well, dad, I'm, I'd love to, but I got to try to get in. No, no, you don't understand. We were walking on that lawn place and there was a lady, beautiful young lady walked out in a bathrobe and she was going to, to the bathroom behind some place called the lawn. I, you got to come to school here and you got to get a room there. I'm like, dad, you, you don't really understand. Like, okay, great. No problem. I'll, I'll try. So next thing I know, um, I got lucky at the end of my senior year, played some really good golf, um, was gotten off the wait list at Virginia to go play golf. I thought I was going to have to walk on to the team and through the walk-on tournament. And so I get there a week prior, I'm playing my guts out, trying to get ready for this tournament. And Mike looks at me and goes, Hey, junior, go get a physical. Don't worry about the walk-on tournament. You're on the team. Like, Oh gosh. So, I mean, I got so lucky um, to be a part of this. And then next thing I know, you know, it's five years later, I'm, I'm the King of the imps and the president of the captain's council. It was, it was surreal, surreal. That's awesome. And I'm hoping you're going to share this one with dad because there is some great parenting making Making a college choice based on a girl in a bathrobe on a visit. That is awesome. That's probably more thought than I even put into my reason for going. So that's amazing. So Mr. Kelly, kudos to you, man. That's awesome. (laughs) I love it. Okay, cool. So for those who don't know, what's a a playoff, a play-in for the the spot? I know what it is, but explain it to me. So there there are a lot of people when they go to college and for golf, it's, you you know, it's not like you're a football player, a basketball player, or a great soccer player where, you know, you're certain cut, there are no really walk-ons. And the golf team, you can actually have some guys that are, are halfway decent that come in and they say, all right, well, we've got 10 guys on the team. We've got spots for two more. We're going to let you have a walk-on tournament. It's usually like a four or five round tournament uh, where you play at Birdwood at our course there at Virginia, play it four or five rounds. And the top guy usually gets onto the team. Well, in this situation, there was a guy named um, Charles. Oh gosh, I can't remember Charles. I called him Podge um, and Brian Quackenbush. And they've been on the team forever and had to requalify every year. Anyway, Podge missed uh, a 30 footer, looked it on the last hole and, and I'm watching it and he's screaming because he knows he had to have made it to make the team. But Mike let Podge and, and quack back on the team because of that. But I didn't have to go through that. I got to just to jump right on and I was still a walk on. I didn't have a scholarship, um, but I was a, a member of, of the team. You know, at that time there were 12 of us. I was definitely low man on the totem pole, uh, played with great players like, you know, Dan Ladd and, you know, Dean Smith and um, <laughs> Jimmy Flippin and Trip Shreves. I mean, we had these great guys and great players and I got to learn with them. And then, you know, we had three-time All-American come on with me, a guy named Simon Cook, who was unbelievable. And then Louis Chatingua, who passed away, but he was a two-time All-American, and then James Driscoll. So I got to be with all these guys. And I thankfully just kind of kept getting better. Golf is one of those things where, you know, you work hard enough, hopefully you can get a little bit better. Um, I wound up playing every tournament for my last three years um, with the team. Had to qualify for all but two, but I, I qualified for every one of them. So I was kind of a grinder. Um and then, yeah, I got, I was named captain my last two years and just had a blast. I mean, it was, I, I still, we were texting with the guys today, you know, just about what's going on. One of the guys on our team is now U.S. Congressman, which is absolutely hilarious um, considering where he started from. Um, he was a Rotunda Burning Society guy. So it's, it's just been, been nuts. 
you know, you think about that, like your a lot of your identity is in your sport, mm-hmm. and every year you're having to kind of uh, requalify. Yeah, like it's not like in soccer. Once you're on, you're pretty much on, and even right. if you really just you just suck, right? That yeah. they're, 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 they're not going to kick you off, even on a team like ours. So that's uh, it's a lot of pressure, and I'm sure that the pressure was all over, especially because now you're trying to balance your schoolwork with golf and the rigors of that and so on and so forth. So tell me about, so you get to Charlottesville. Did you know what you wanted to major in besides golf at that point? <laughs> yeah. So this is the, the ignorance of youth, right? So I had this romantic plan that I was going to be the small town country doctor. Um, and so I said, all right, I'm going to go and take, you know, chemistry and, you know, all the stuff. Oh, and I'm also going to join a fraternity and I'm going to walk onto the team. So, you know, immediately, you know, thrown in the deep end, carrying a cinder block. And I promptly fail my, get my first F ever in chemistry. Now I, I got a B plus in the lab, which I was pretty happy about. Uh, but calculus, the, the first calculus test I took ever, I had not taken calculus and this is all pre-med stuff. And the guy gives it back to me and it says 90, big 90 on this. I'm like, how in the heck did I just get a 90 on this calculus test? And the TA goes, so everybody, the test is at a 200 points. I'm like, yep, there you go. That's, that's about right. It's a 45. <laughs> yep, yep, that's, so I, I call Mike and I'm like, look, I'm failing, literally failing calculus and I'm failing chemistry. What do I do? He goes, you need to go get a tutor. So I go and I go to academic services uh, at U-Haul and they give me a guy named Scott Tumpery. So Tump gets me through calculus by the skin of my teeth and get my C. I'm like, oh, God, this is not going well. Then I go, go home and I, I show my dad a C and an F. And he's like, you got to drop something. I was like, nope, nope. I'm, I'm still a member of Pi Kappa Alpha fraternity where a bunch of the golf guys are. And our good friend, uh, Chris Havlicek, who I've got a great story for that to, to share uh, with my first real imp experience. Um, and then at, from that point, I'm like, all right, let's figure out something else. So I knew I wanted to play golf. I knew I loved stories. I knew I loved, uh, frankly, religion. Um, so I actually wound up studying and, and getting a major in religious studies. Um, which was a blast. I, at, for a little bit, I thought I was going to go into the ministry. A little bit, I thought I was going to go into coaching. So I kind of did all of it. And I got a master's in sports psych with Rotella, uh, which I, I don't. I think you might have been in that class, but the intro to sports psych class I took my second year, fall of my second year, and it's all these athletes and all these, I mean, just really good looking ladies and fit. And I mean, it's so much fun. And Rotella looks around and says, what's your dream? And I, I raise my hand like a dumb second year. And I say, I want to win the masters as an amateur. And he stops the whole class and he looks at me and he looks around and goes, y'all, now that's a dream. I'm like, yes, I nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because I do remember that class and it is exactly what you just said. And it also, I credit for single-handedly screwing up one of my seasons because, no. it, because it made me totally overthink the game of soccer. Yep. I would walk out of there saying, this is the best class ever. I love it. <laughs> and then I would get on the field and I would be awful. Okay. Yeah, a basket case. Yeah. yeah. We had, you remember Tom Perrin, who was the assistant yep. basketball coach, who was yep. uh, the team sports psychologist for soccer. And I mean, he probably spent more time undoing everything that I learned in that class. <laughs> and then it was funny, one of my associates at work handed me a copy of Bob's book, um, 
golf is not a perfect game or something. Not a game of perfect. Yep. Not a game of perfect. Right. So uh, I remember that class and yeah, it was fun while you were there, but it was not fun when I got back on the field. So I, after that, I had to retrain my brain not to think. (laughs) Oh yeah, totally. Well, and that's the crazy thing about it is when sports like you do all this thinking about not thinking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. So it's a, a little metaphor for life, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Gosh. Oh. So that's great. So then uh, tell me, so you got there, tell me about when you, you pledged the fraternity experience. What was that? <laughs> so I did the whole fraternity scene and my father, you know, who I obviously love very much and was a big influence on me was a KA at uh, Wake Forest for um, a year. And then he wound up transferring, but he said, don't join a fraternity. I'm like, okay, you know, I won't. And then, you know, I'm a social creature, like all, all the imps are. And um, I got hooked up with Dan Ladd and Dean Smith and a guy named Lee Larie, um on the driving range one day. They said, come by the house. I'm like, what's the house? It's like, oh, come by Pika. I'm like, okay. So I went by Pike, uh, hung out. It was a blast. And, you know, I'm going through the pr- pledge process and uh, Danny Lehman, who was the pledge chair at the time, I looked at him. I said, look, Danny, my dad's not going to let me do this. He goes, let, let me talk to your father. So I, I giggle. I'm like, sure, here's the phone. See how this goes. And my father cusses him out. Um, and then I joined the fraternity anyway, just because, you know, I'm going to make my own decisions at the point. And it, it was great. I mean, it really some just very close friends. It was really neat when I think about my experience, I had these different worlds. You know, you have the athletic world is very much its own entity. I mean, you know, everybody, you see everybody. And if you don't know them, then you know, one person that does and the fraternity system was kind of the same way. Um, it was a bunch of maniacs, you know, lived in the house. It was a ton of fun. I wound up being the range man for, for, for Pike, you know, our, our founding room was, was on 47 West range. So my big brother, uh, Dean Smith lived there. I wound up living there. So it was just kind of a thing that, that we did. It was stupid and wonderful all at the same time. You know, and then I get involved with, you know, the, the fabulous imps and it, it just opened up this, this other incredible world of Virginia where you got to see people that really play. So they worked really hard. Like that's the thing that that I was so impressed about with anybody who was involved with the imps that I knew they worked incredibly hard and they played incredibly hard. But the thing I didn't realize is that they did so much good that no one ever talked about that aspect of it. You know, this three ring circus where you've got the play, 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 work, work, work. And all this good that they did was just mind blowing. Once I really understood that. You know, it's interesting when you think of your bio, you really had probably one of the most complete UVA experiences because usually someone will have one part of what you just mentioned, right? So they'll have the academics plus the fraternity. Right. Mm -hmm. Then you have some people, and I would say very few, have the academics, the fraternity, okay, and the sport, right? Mm -hmm. And then, like, hardly, probably less than 0.000001% of all UVA has all of that and then the imps. And so it's interesting that your vantage point is probably a lot broader than most people who have the UVA experience. Do you feel that way? I do, but I think we got to put a couple of qualifications on that. One, the academics were not very much there. <laughs> they were close. Two, golf is a game. It's not a sport. So, <laughs> you know, it's not like I was out there battling with, you know, the basketball guys or the soccer guys or certainly lacrosse. So that's why I look back on on my time with just unbelievable levels of gratitude. You know, I, I 
it frankly, in some ways feel a little bit bad for my kids because when we go back to Charlottesville, which I, you know, I took my oldest son, whose also name is Cole, who's a, a damn good basketball player. But, you know, I got so lucky getting in, choosing the sport I had, the, the coach situation. The, I mean, it was just, it was incredible. And the people I got to meet and hang out with and do stuff with, I mean, look, you join a fraternity, you think this is really fun. And the first, he, first time I meet Havlicek, he's dressed in a wife beater and he's greased up and he's wearing a tool belt and he's taking a door off of a hinge. And I'm like, who the hell is this guy? He goes, oh, that's Chris Havlicek. And he goes, no, I'm Guido. I'm like, who, who the hell is Guido? And then the next time I meet him, honestly, the next time I meet him, he's dressed in a plaid uh, jacket with broken glasses and a backpack on and he's dancing like he's Urkel. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? He goes, that's Havlicek. It's like, I think it's Havlicek. Like, I don't know what to do with this guy. And he's in my fraternity. Like what, what the hell is going on? Well, I was at that party at your fraternity when he was pretending to be an electrician and yeah. he was messing around with, he had a screwdriver yes. and he was messing around with the outlets, unscrewing the outlets and he would not get out of character. So yes, yeah, I yeah. would validate that that is a true story. I was at that party. Oh, God. Yeah. So it was, I, I, I did have an incredible experience at Virginia and it was, yeah, it was wonderful. So your son Cole is a basketball player. What year in school is he? So he's a funny case. He started this year as a sophomore in high school because he had had a massive head injury playing football and he, he got hurt. But and then the next year he had a, he tore his ACL. So he was supposed to have been a junior, but he hadn't taken enough classes. So he started the year as a sophomore. In fact, he started as the vice president of the sophomore class at his high school. He had taken one extra math class just to try to stay a little bit on track. And they said, oh, that triggers you. You're now a junior. So halfway through his now sophomore year, he's now a junior. So <laughs> he's supposed to graduate 22. And then we'll see what happens after that. <laughs> so, I, I love what you said about golf not really being a sport because I agree. Yes. So it, it seemed a little silly that they even let you in the athletic dining hall. <laughs> But, but so I know your wife, Kate, must have been an athlete because that poor Cole must have gotten his athletic genes, hopefully from her and not from 100%. Her. Well, absolutely. So Kate actually was a, this is kind of a funny Virginia story as well. She was recruited to play college basketball and college soccer. She wound up playing, she could have gone to Notre Dame. She was recruited to go there um, to play center mid for Notre Dame. Wound up going to Dartmouth and playing center mid at Dartmouth for four years. Her coach, Steve Swanson, is now the head coach at Virginia for the women's team. And it literally two doors from me right now is, is my wife, Kate, and our associate director, Sue, at our summer camp. Sue played with Kate at Dartmouth, played for Swanson, coached, Swanson, coached with Swanson at Virginia. So when we meet in 2000 and summer 2000 for the first time, Kate calls her friend Sue at Virginia and says, look, I need you to look up somebody, some guy named Cole Kelly. He supposedly was a part of the athletic program there at Virginia. So it's like, oh, I know, you know, Mr. Little Page, I'll, I'll go ask, ask Craig. Hey, Mr. Little Page, do you know Cole Kelly? Oh my God, how's he doing? What's going on? Here's his picture, blah, 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 blah. And so she calls Kate and says, yeah, he's the real deal. It's okay. <laughs> now, why, why is it that our spouses need proof that oh, we did stuff? Stacey did the same thing to me on our second date. She didn't believe, she asked me if I was in a fraternity. And I said, no, I wasn't in a fraternity. It was, it, it was, it was kind of hard because I played soccer da, 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 and really a lot of the soccer players weren't in fraternities and she didn't buy into it. Yep. So she yep, yep. wanted to see proof that I played soccer on the third date. So I had to go get a VHS tape of me <laughs> playing 
to, to prove my athleticism. So I don't know what that is with Scout not buying it. Maybe it's for, I don't know. Maybe we don't look athletic now, do well, we? Well, Lord knows I certainly didn't. <laughs> so, okay. So now you graduate. Did the golf thing continue after graduation? Yeah. So I actually, because I registered in my first year, um, I had a fifth year. Um, so I had started my master's in sports psych with Rotella and it was playing my fifth year. And then when I finished um, our my eligibility, I actually stuck around and coached for a couple of years. I was the, the assistant coach for the, the team with Mike Morgan there and had a blast um, and loved it. And then I started to realize that as much as I wanted to coach, there was so much red tape involved with the, the NCAA. And I, I worked with Dirk uh, at the, it was then the VSAF, that's now the VAF, the uh, fundraising arm. And did some work with young alums and, and had a blast raising money for the athletic department and, you know, worked with Mr. Little page and, and with Jane Miller and all these great people. Um, and then I realized, all right, well, I kind of, I love this team building stuff. I love the sports psych, which I finished my master's in. So I went back and I, I got an MBA at the university of Georgia. Um, and it, another lucky situation, the, the Dean of the business school was a former college golfer and we saw each other on the driving range one day and he said, wait a second, you know, you got a good move. What's going on? How do you, what do you think about this? And so for the next two years, I would spend time with the Dean of the business school talking golf while we also talked sports psychology and a little bit of accounting and a little bit of marketing. It was just, it was incredible. And now I'm a summer camp director. So, you know, who, who the hell knows how this journey goes? <laughs> you basically have talked your way all the way into a college, into, yep. into an MBA program, into a career. Okay. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So, it's again, luck. <laughs> so what were those grades you got in chemistry? Oh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Who cares? Well, and I'd also like to take a, a moment for anybody who got me through uh, financial accounting, cost accounting, all those things. I had these great young ladies uh, that were on part of my, my MBA program team that were from Asia, uh, from China and Shirley Sue. Uh, and she actually got me through cost accounting and I got her through organizational development. So it, it was a perfect symbiotic relationship. Well, you, you think back to those times of like the, the grades we got in certain classes. And I think now back to uh, econ, I had Elzinga yep. for econ. And I can't remember who the other professor was, who was also really good. It was micro and macro. And yep. I think those were my two worst grades at the university. And then uh, I became a financial advisor. So Perfect. like, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. The least qualified person to become a financial advisor. Oh, that's well, I, I'm I'm sure you got an A in Stong's probabilities. So yes, I did. And <laughs> I remember uh, a quick story that there was uh, I won't say her name, but there was a woman on the track team who I had had eyes for for two years, you know, while we were there. And yep. she was in Stong probability. And so when, you know, it was the beginning of the semester, I went out and partied hard. Okay. And then that, that class, I don't know if you remember, it was like an eight o'clock in the morning. Class. Oh yeah. It was early. Yeah. So I got to sit, the seat next to her was open. Okay. And I actually went and I sat next to her and then probably about 30 minutes into the class, I guess I had too much to drink and the hangover got a hold of me and I had to leave the class. So that was, that was divine intervention of not wanting me to be able to go on a date with her, I guess. 
the one time the seat was open next to her, I had it and I had to leave. So I nice. know stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I took that class with, with Claudia Reina and, and a bunch of the other guys on the soccer team. I remember, right. It's like, if, if you're getting that many points for signing your name, I think I'll be okay. Yeah, the, the soccer players, we were pretty serious students, you know, very serious. You just named some real like uh, all stars in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. If they're listening. <laughs> It's about time you owe me a phone call, all of you who, that he just mentioned. Yep. So, okay, cool. So you're there and you graduate and then you go to um, University of Georgia. And then, so tell me, take me through the track because it was, uh, you didn't become, pursue being a minister. So you yep. left that for Phil Gates to, to be yep. the owner of that one within the Imps. So then yep. what happened? Where, I mean, were, were you seriously considering that? Was that really a yeah. potential? Move? So, and when it's funny, there's another minister in the Imps who was actually a queen, Stephen Phelan, um, who actually was a church planter for a number of years. And Stephen and I were actually roommates when he was in law school and I was getting my uh, my master's education and coaching the team. And so, yeah, I just realized, I just, I didn't feel really called to the ministry. I mean, I think that that really is a calling. I love the stories. I, I'm still a churchgoer and, you know, very Christian. In fact, I, I wrote a book for uh, basically a Christian bar mitzvah for, for boys and their dads. Um, you know, so it's a big part of it. But I tell you, I took a graduate level seminar with Rotella and a bunch of the other, you know, they were at that time getting the master's. Um, it was a three hour seminar. And all we did was read a book a week. And the one thing Rotella said when I said, look, Dr. Rotella, I really want to be a part of this class. I'm a fourth year. You know, I, I think I can do it. We're getting around. He gives us a civilis. And the first book is Ayn Rand's book. I can't remember. Fountainhead. All right. So it's a, like a 700 page book. And he said, all right, we're going to talk about this next Monday. Read it. And I'm like, are, are you kidding? Like he wants me to read this whole book in a, in a week. And he looks at me and goes, junior said, yes, sir. Keep up. Like, okay. Challenge accepted. So at that point, I kept up and I loved it. I just had the best time. You know, Golden was in there. Uh, Matt, was it Mike Golden? Matt Golden? Um, he wound up coaching in, in um, college for big time. I think he coached at uh, Miami last. But anyway, we, we had a blast with all that. And the MBA program came out of the fact that I really wanted to build teams and I really wanted to work with people and make them better. I love this idea of sports psychology um, and making you better, kind of removing the thinking um, and just reacting and being more thoughtful and building teams for better communication. So I do the MBA program and I really focus on the, the organizational development side of things. So I took a lot of psych classes along with all the other stuff. And then I meet my wife, Kate, and she's the head counselor at a summer camp for kids. And it's, it's crazy how life prepares you for certain things. You don't know that you're preparing for it. Running a summer camp requires you, it's a business. You know, your good friend and my good friend, Jim Solinger, you know, runs one of the greatest camps in the world and in Camp Laurel for a full summer camp. Um, I would say my short session camp is just as good as Jim's. But I'll be sure to tell him that. I'll give yes, him I'll tell yes, you. you should. Tell the, Laurel South has nothing on Wickwake. You can have like, a, you guys can dork it out with like a, like a red blue war or something like that. <laughs> we'll color war it up without a doubt. Yeah, right. It, I tell you, um, Jim is, he is a, he is a truly a, a great human being. So camp is this crazy world where you're working with kids. I mean, it's, it's all risk management. That's all it is, you know, because you've got 450 children, you've got 220, mostly college age staff members. And if that's not the right, you know, a combination for a risk management situation, I don't know what it is, you know, and you've got 60 buildings and you've got 120 acres and you've got all these different things. So you're trying to run a business, you're training people how to create an incredible community, then working with all the, the moms and the dads to make sure they're, and looking back on an MBA 
run the business, uh, master education and sports psych, work with the people, learning through the imps about what it means to be a part of a truly loving and open community. It could not have prepared me better to be a summer camp director. It just, it's crazy how it all worked out. So uh, you just mentioned the imps. I want to head back into that. Sorry, I'm all over the place today. It's like, I'm so excited to talk to you. I don't know what lane to go down. So uh, this would be an editing nightmare if this was a a commercial podcast. So tell me uh, your relationship with the imps. How did it start? Do you remember your tapping? Any good stories? Okay. So uh, yes, this has to start with an apology. And, and I think as I've listened to the first several um, of, the, of these podcasts, which have been fantastic, all roads seem to lead back to Havlicek. Um, and it's not really just Chris I'm talking about, but his younger sister, Jill, who, full disclosure, I had a huge crush on. Huge. Um, like, I'm sure, a thousand other guys at Virginia. So we're at Virginia. We're at a, at a party at Pike, at Pika, and it's Jill's tap night. Okay. She's already been tapped for to be in the imps, but you know, no one knows it. It's not a public thing. And so they're marching and they're going to collect her and make a big deal of it. And of course they're doing that Pi Kappa Alpha because Chris is a member there. And Chris, I think is the king at that point, or it might've been you. I can't remember. So anyway, Jill shows up and she is, she's been served too much. Let's just say, I mean, she's not She's been served too much. And me being the Southern gentleman, you know, for all of our listeners, a rare thing to be overserved. Very rare. Yes. Very, very odd. It's a pretty much a dry, dry (laughs) ground now. Right. I believe it's still like, come on, come on. We gotta, we gotta be, we gotta be truthful here. Um, I gotta just make sure if my kids are listening to this one, that they know. That's right. That's right. I'm sure she had too much Diet Coke. Yes. It was Diet Coke. Okay, good. So let's go with that. Diet Coke. Too many Diet Cokes. And she was, she was a little dizzy from the Diet Coke and and bibing. Anyway, so I decided I'm going to be the good guy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, something's going to go wrong here. You need to go home right now. You need to get to bed. And I hadn't had, literally I hadn't had a thing yet. So I put her in a car. I drive her back to her apartment where she's living with, with Ann Carter Kaufman. And I, I literally put her in bed and I'm thinking like, she's going to have a hard time. So I go sleep on the couch. So honest God, nothing happened. I, I swear to my grave, you know, total respect is she was not in a good place. So I take her back, put her in bed. I go sleep on the couch, make sure, see if she needs anything. The next morning I wake up and it, I don't open my eyes at first. I just hear like the loudest fan go whoosh, whoosh, like right over my face. I'm like, what the hell is that? So I look up, I open my eyes and I look up and there's Havel, there's Chris with a tennis racket and he's swinging it as hard as he possibly can. All 6'6", 250 of him swinging like inches from my nose. And he sits there and he looks at me, he giggles. He goes, he goes, did you touch my sister? I said, I swear to God, Chris, I didn't. I I slept on the couch. Chris, okay. And then he laughs and runs out of the room. That's my first experience with the imps. I actually ruined Jill's tap night, not even knowing it was going on. And I feel terrible. So Jill, if you happen to be listening to this, I'm sorry. Well, you know, we could always just reenact it, right? (laughs) That would be great. Yes, you should do that. Why don't we get a bunch of imps We'll fly to, do we know where she lives now? I don't know where Jill lives. Oh gosh. Was it Kansas City? Like, yeah, Kansas Kansas City. I think so. Yeah. She was in Kansas City. So why don't we all fly out there? We'll get our pitchforks and we'll we'll dress like that on the flight, of course. Yeah, of course. That would be totally normal. Yeah, with our masks. With our masks, right? (laughs) So no one can tell who it is. You can get away with that. Why don't we go re-tap Jill? I, yes, I, I'll, I'll be in. I'll, I'll pay for some of that. That was my fault. Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is your fault. 
So, okay, so that's that's a good one. We haven't had that one before. <laughs> so then uh, you became the king of the imps. I assume yeah. your fourth year. When did that happen? So I got tapped my fourth year. Courtney Page, um, another Siski, uh, got got me involved somehow. Took me college in. I think there was something having to do with they had found out that uh, C. Page and I and Stephanie Morningstar and Bobby Wickham, who was my fraternity brother and roommate, we streaked the lawn having met each other at the Biltmore one night randomly. I'd never never known the other two. And they say, hey, you want to go streak? It's like, of course, let's go streak. So we streak the lawn, go back and we watch Fletch at our, our um, room. And two years later, Page is knocking on the door. I've got to talk to you. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, um, so Mr. Little Page knows that we struck the lawn. Someone took pictures that night and it's gotten out. We, we have to deal with this right now. Like uh, it's like 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. Like what the hell are you talking about? I know right now, like, okay. So we go to college in and sit down. We're going to have some pizza and talk about this. And then all of a sudden they say, are you a zoomer? I'm like, no. Like you want to be an imp? I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> sure. Like, okay. And, you know, and then, you know, you get this incredible situation where you go to the chapel and, like, first of all, I'd never been in it. And that's our hangout on Sunday nights. And then I see Phil Gates standing there in his, you know, kind of his monastic splendor. I'm like, who is this guy? And like, why is he looking at me like this? And and like, okay. And, you know, he said, Wally Legby and you see Tiki and Ryan. I mean, it's just, it was incredible. Um, and then I stayed and got my master's and I guess because I was there long enough and they didn't want, Gates didn't want to do it. They, they made me, you know, king and, um, because I stuck around in Charlottesville for a while, you know, I, I did my fourth year, then I did my fifth year and then I did my master's and I, I, I stayed and I stayed involved the entire time. So really I was part of the imps from fall of 95 until spring of 99. And, you know, I, I became the old guy, like the weirdo kind of sitting there. Why, why are you still going to the dirty joke banquet? And why are you still walking around and, you know, pitchfork and, you know, bathrobe at, at 23, 24 years old. And it was, I mean, it was awesome. So yeah, it was, it was incredible. You know, it's funny. I can't help but I'm thinking of the story that was used as your practical joke. And in my mind, the only thing I could think about was I, if it was true, I wonder if the picture was with one of those Polaroid instant photos <laughs> or one of those box cameras, the throwaway cameras that, that they totally. had. Yeah. So yeah. Be, that, that would have been added to that. <laughs> that just came to mind. Maybe that's one thing I should just keep in my head. And that's not- right. <laughs> So cool. So now you're you're still fond of the imps. You, I know you've got your. No one can see, but we're zooming. Oh, yeah. Not yeah. zoomers, but we're zooming, and I can see the ring, the imp oh, ring yeah. going on. So Crazy. Awesome. Yeah. And assume you're you, you run into people now and now and again who are imps. Like, are you keeping in touch? What's that like? Yeah, I still keep in touch with several people. In fact, it's funny the imps were a part of my my wedding. I guess my uh, engagement process and story. Um, I sent my wife on a, a five-stop scavenger hunt around New York City, and Raj Doshi was the, the first start. He wanted to be in a, he was a McKinsey consultant, and I don't know where Raj is now, but we talk every now and then on Facebook. And my queen, Amanda Wells, uh, 11, I believe, uh, out in LA, she ended it. Um, so she was the last woman to see me not engaged uh, because she actually made my wife sing her high school fight song in the Knights in the Armor Room. Uh, at the Metropolitan Museum of Art right before she met me on the steps where I gave her the ring. So yeah. Uh, and of course, Queenie uh, was was dressed up appropriately to be in there. So it was pretty awesome. Wow. You're a romantic. Look oh, at totally. I, I had to confuse her. I had to get her all discombobulated to say yes. 
She didn't know what happened. She said yes. She thought it was to something else. Next thing you know, you're totally. on the honeymoon. It's that's totally. Good. That's good salesmanship. I like that. <laughs> no, it's funny. There, there are two times in my life where I've actually had puddles of water in my hand. You know, being nervous. The first one, I'm nine under through 17 holes at a golf tournament. I'm like, wait a second, why are my hands wet? And this, the second time, and only other time, I've got a ring in my hand. I'm trying to ask somebody to, to marry me. So who knows? So uh, we'll t- we're going to have Raj. You just mentioned on the, the show. I keep up with him. He's in Texas. So oh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was in New York City for a while. I think I got a few free meals out of him. Uh, <laughs> was able to take him taking me out to dinner a couple of times. So, you know, the name of the show is From Nowhere to Now Here. And Now Here is a lot, the camp. So can you talk yeah. about the camp and what's going on? It's really cool. Yeah. You know, in, in some ways, it's a lot like the imps, which I described one to somebody as a controlled train wreck. Um, you know, it's it's. 450 kids uh, all over the place. Normally we've got kids from, you know, about 16 states and 13 different countries uh, this year because of the pandemic. It's a little bit smaller, uh, a little bit smaller scope, um, but still all over the U.S. And then you've got these really amazing staff members, um, young 19 to 22 year old young men and women that, you know, we pay them, but basically you're giving up your your summer and you're serving. Um, And the funny thing about camp is that you, you, we, we based everything. It's a secular place, but we base everything on the Judeo-Christian ethic. We've got probably 60% of our kids come from Jewish families um, of different levels of observance. Um, and then the rest are all over the map. We've got Christians, we've got Hindus, we've got atheists, we've got everybody. But the stuff that we talk about, we, we really focus on being grateful human beings, um, choosing your attitude, which is the sports psych side of things, and the gratitude, obviously, is the Christian side of things, uh, and then courage, building your courage to muscle. Um, and we find that if we can find counselors, these young near peers, these young mentors for these, these are campers who exemplify those three values and live those three values out, then the kids will catch that, you know, it's not, you know, they're not going to really do what you say, but they'll, they'll do what you're doing. And so we've got these 220, 19 to 22 year olds that be are grateful, choose their attitude and, and show their development of their courage. Then the kids will catch that and start doing that as well. And so that's, you know, it's their camp supposed to be quote unquote fun. And it is, I mean, it's unbelievable when it's done right and it's the right fit for that kid. Um, but you can really get a ton of it, a ton out of it as well. And it can change the trajectory of lives, which is really, really fun. And give me the background to the name of the camp. I looked at it when, <laughs> you know, when uh, you emailed me and I've been trying to say it correctly <laughs> and I'm not even going to make an attempt because then it will basically be further proof about where my brain is. But <laughs> what is the name of the camp? Sure. Camp Wequaic. Um, so it's, it's rhymes with mosaic. That's the best way to say it. Camp Wequaic. Um, so Camp Wequaic actually, Wequaic is a high school in Newark, New Jersey. It was started in 1953, the camp was, from the athletics director at Wequaic High, Mr. Lustig. And Mr. Lustig and his wife came up, bought an old farm um, and turned it into a summer camp. I guess he was this Pied Piper kind of guy. I was actually on an airplane coming back from Florida, seeing families, gosh, this is now maybe eight, 10 years ago. And I had Camp Wequaic on my shirt and this older gentleman sitting next to me goes, is that, is that Mr. Lustig's camp? I said, yes, sir, it is. He goes, I was one of his assistant coaches at Wequaic High School. I was like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. So it, it was really neat learning about that. And it, the camp was with one family for the Lustig family from 1953 until 2008. In 2009, um, my wife and I were brought in by the people that, that purchased it uh, to run it. And at that point it had 90 kids and it had capacity for 400. So it was really, it was dying on the vine. 
and we've thankfully been able to rebuild it and actually wound up buying it uh, this past year. So in the middle of a pandemic, we, we decided to buy a summer camp that wasn't even operational at the time. So, so what's the future vision for the camp? And more importantly, what's the future vision for you? Where are you headed? Man, uh, so hopefully, hopefully to heaven. <laughs> that's that's the end, the real end result. I think the camp we want to continue doing what we're doing. You know, we we love the relationship we're seeing with these kids. And the fun thing about running summer camp is that the kids that we recruited nine, 10, 11 years ago are now becoming staff members. So we've gone from having one former staff member who I fired the first night, my first summer at camp to this summer, we'll have 30, I think 33, 34 young men and women that are now creating the experience that they enjoyed. And so you see that growth in time. Um, and then going forward, you know, once my boys, I've got three boys that are 17, 15 and 13, um, once they get out of the house and going and having their own thing, then maybe I'll get back into golf a little bit more. Um, I, I miss the game. I, I love it. Um, and would like to play more, but I, you know, we've got, st- we've got groups set up where we're going to go see some of the golf guys this fall and the new golf course up at Birdwood and see some of my fraternity brothers. So we're still keeping up with people and some of the imps. So it's, it's been a blast. Uh, speaking of the boys, do the boys golf? So it's really funny. Uh, no, however, my oldest one, the 17 year old went and played golf with some of his friends just because, and then goes after dinner, dad, could you take me to the driving range? And I had a problem with my, my driver. Could you help me? I'm like, I've been waiting for 17 years for you to say that. Yes. Yes. So I mean, we hit, hit balls until dark. It was so much fun. Yeah. Shouldn't he get? A, shouldn't he get someone who knows about golf to teach him about he it? Should. I mean, that would be like me teaching my kids about <laughs> goalkeeping. That's not. That doesn't make any sense. Well, the funny thing was, I, 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 um, I on the way the golf course. Honestly, I was thinking to myself, if you screw this up, you will hate yourself forever. So just make it fun. Just, just totally make it fun. And the, honestly, TC, the first thing I had him do was throw a, draw, a golf club as far as you could down the range. He's like, you want me to do what? I said, yeah, no, check as far as you can. And the crazy thing is he ended on perfect balance. I'm like, okay, that's how you're supposed to finish. (laughs) Really? Well, I'm just going to forewarn you that this might happen. And I'm not saying that it happened to me, but it (laughs) might happen to you where you're trying to teach your son about some aspect of golfing and he gets annoyed with you. And then he says, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and, and that's in the sport that you played in college. So yeah, yeah. Uh, just, just to forewarn you, not that Fair I know enough. personal experience, but it, it could happen. It could happen. Good, good to know. And, and I've, I've thankfully already lined up my good friend, Tim Cook, who was a, an, also an imp, uh, who's a, a, last I saw was a 40 under 40 teacher in the U.S. for golf. So I said, look, if you don't believe me, go talk to Tim. It'll be fine. Are you, did I read also that you're doing a podcast too? What, what's going yeah. on with that? Yeah, so that's been fun. Uh, we've done it now two years. Um, it's called Campfire Conversation. Um, and actually the idea was trying to take the lessons that we learned in summer camp and apply them to our real world. Um, and actually we had a, one a couple of weeks ago that I thought was great that my wife did. And she's uh, full disclosure, she would have been an imp um, uh, without a doubt. She's certainly, she's better looking, she's a better athlete, and she's much smarter than I am. But she had this idea that we're all coming out of this pandemic with our hands shut, like we're all anxious, we're all kind of closed up just a little bit, literally like closed up. And you can't give or receive gifts with your hands closed. And so the point of our orientation this year, we have two weeks with our counselors before the kids arrive, is to slowly get them to open their hands and to open up. So that way you can give a gift, but you can also receive a gift. 
but we have to get ourselves back in that place. And that was the, one of the lessons that she learned at camp a couple of summers ago that, that we put out there. And I, I thought, man, that's, that's really good. Man, I love the work that you guys are doing. It's epic stuff. This is like, this is what the kids need nowadays. And I'm sure you probably have story after story of victories from kids who went to the camp that went on to do great things that then reach out to you and accredited their experience with the camp. I mean, and when you really think about it, there's no better experience in life than getting those emails, getting those texts, getting yeah. those phone calls, right? Am I right yeah. or am I right? Well, you're a hundred percent right. And the funny thing is, Tiski, that you, you get that from the kids and it's really fun. When you get it from the staff members, when you get it from a 19 year old that says that experience made me a better human. When you, when you look at a, a division head, a guy named Prince William, uh, we called him Prince William. He's English and he's a beautiful man. He's now a big time consultant, but he looked at me one day and said, Cole at home in England, I'm not a nice person, but here I am. This place has changed me. I'm like, I mean, that's, you're willing to put up with, you know, the 18, 19 hour days, 70 days in a row when you get something like that. I mean, it's just, it's like, oh my gosh, I get to do this. Like, okay, I'm, I'm in. Not many professions can say that that's the end result of yeah. a phone call or an email like that. I mean, yeah, it's, it's incredibly rewarding. It's, it's a blast. So, okay. Are you still drinking tuna? Everybody wants to know. <laughs> Also, one of your claims to fame, you you had a fair amount of tuna in your day. Yes, uh, I think, yeah, probably way too much. Um, The last time I remember Calvin Schneider, uh, our our good friend Calvin, who was a professional chef and owned a restaurant for a number of years, I saw him making a a batch of tuna. I think it was for our 100th anniversary, which we had at U-Haul, not U-Haul, at um, Mim Jim uh, a long, long time ago. And he looked at me, he's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm pouring the grain alcohol in. He goes, no, that's stupid. We're going to do it with this. I'm like, you're the chef, whatever. Um, no, sadly, not not drinking. I'm eating a lot more tuna than I am uh, drinking it, unfortunately. So, and, and, you know, thinking, sorry to bring back that whole streaking on the lawn story, because I'm sure the, <laughs> the visual is absolutely painful for all of our listeners. But so- it's Alleged. It was alleged. Alleged. Okay. So, yeah. like, you're streaking down the lawn, and you, like, you pass around the Homer statue at the end there, right? Mm-hmm. And you come yeah. back around, and, you know, let's say that before you had this encounter- um, with a current imp today, you actually put your clothes back on. So we don't have yes. to like ruin the visual. So <laughs> what sort of like words of wisdom from your UVA days do you give to today's imps? Man, well, it's, it, I heard Gates say it and I, I would like to echo him. Um, don't take yourself too seriously. And, and really, this is an incredible opportunity. Make absolutely the most of it and be goofy. I mean, it's one of the last times that you can truly let it all hang out. And I don't mean to say that streaking the lawn, um, but you know, from a, a community standpoint, it's one of the great last wonderful opportunities you'll have to build relationships that are priceless. Um, so be a little irreverent, be a little goofy, get your stuff done, but you know, have some fun. You know, you think about the word goofy, right? That's, kind of prerequisite for all the imps, right? We, all <laughs> goofy. we were all goofy. And I'm happy to say, I think from all the ones that I'm staying in touch with, we are still goofy, which yeah. is, uh, that's, you know, hopefully that never changes. Yeah. Uh, favorite word with the letters IMP? 
So I've been thinking about this a lot and I actually looked, I didn't realize there's so many. There are like 14 to 15 letter words that, that have IMP in it, which is crazy. Um, my, my favorite one is imperfect. Um, and for a couple of reasons, I think one from the, the Christian side of things, you know, we're all made from imperfect wood. Um, we're all made in the image of God, but yet we are imperfect. And that's a good thing. Um, the imperfections actually can lead to some pretty great outcomes if you do things rightly and you, and you appreciate, you know, those gifts and those challenges. Um, and that it's kind of the antidote to the zoomer mentality of like trying to be serious and perfect the entire time. You're not perfect. Don't make perfect the enemy of the good, you know? So imps are totally imperfect. They just make the most of their imperfections. And that's what I strive to do all the time. And I hope my boys do and hope our campers do. It's hard. It's hard as a parent to not slip back into that need to be perfect mm-hmm. uh, or to think that we need to be perfect. So that is an awesome way to end this conversation with you because that, gosh, that's a huge lesson for me, for everyone who's listening to this. And Cole Kelly, you are still the man. El hombre. <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm glad I never started playing golf because I never could go and hang out with you and play golf. That would be just demoralizing, man. But you are like, you are just a special guy and it's been awesome spending some time. I know Imp Nation's going to go nuts when I release this one. Oh, and man. I know we're like, uh, I'm trying to vary the uh, age groups in terms that we're hitting on this one. And you mentioned a bunch of people who need to get on. Dosh age needs to get on. We need to get all these people on. So, but you fitting us in right before you're about to start your uh, camp season is amazing. And it was just my pleasure, man. It's awesome. You're, you haven't changed a darn bit. And I mean, it as a compliment, as a compliment. <laughs> well, it's the same, same to you there, Tiski, man. Great to see you. This has been fun. Awesome, my brother. Take care. Thanks for joining us. Hi there, Tom here. Before I let you go, I wanna tell you about my other podcast, Total Sense. As you may know, after my time as an imp, I went on to become a financial advisor. Okay, stop laughing, don't act so surprised. In each episode, I share advice to parents about how to talk to kids about money. As a parent, I know how difficult that money conversation can be, so I hope you'll listen and find it helpful. It's Total Sense. C-E-N-T-S, as in money, available anywhere you get your podcasts.